Welcome back to Sloydcast. I'm your host, Mark Angelini, joined by my co-host, <laughs> Mike Hanna, a.k.a. 60K Sloyd. And it's been, uh, it's been a couple months since we recorded anything. Uh, life got the best of Mike and I. We both have young daughters and very full life, so things just kind of slipped away from us. But we are really excited today because we have uh, Magnus Sundalind joining us. And um, I'm practicing my Swedish every time we interview a Swedish guest. And I don't know if it gets better <laughs> or worse, but <laughs> it is what it is. Keep trying. So welcome, Magnus. Thank you very much. And for folks that don't know, Magnus is a longtime Sloider with uh, experience, it seems like, across all kinds of crafts, uh, spoon carving and all kinds of green woodworking, as well as tool making. So... Uh, we're really excited to have you here. <clears throat> you were one of my first early inspirations when I got into the scene back in the uh, days when there was the big Facebook group. And your, I know a lot of your work was really inspiring to me in terms of what was possible and um, just all the different things that you make and so on. So we're really excited to have you here. And could you tell us a little bit about where you live and um, just a, just give us your gist of what your life is like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you. Uh, I feel humbled. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I live in a small village called Nedansjö. Uh, that's uh, 25 ki kilometers west from a coastal town called Sundsvall. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, I live in uh, like a rural part of Sundsvall, so pretty much on the countryside, so to speak, because <clears throat> uh, I can't cope with with the stress <laughs> in the city. Uh, I, <laughs> when I grew up, I, I was like a city kid, and my my haven was when I went up to my grand grandmother and father's place. Hmm in this area as well so i've always been like <clears throat> had a strong connection to to nature hmm. so now as a, a grown-up man i can actually choose where to where to live and stay and i prefer the the countryside yeah i, I agree <laughs> and um i know People that have seen your work have seen all the beautiful spoons you do, and um, I, I myself have one of your tools that I use all the time. So can you give us a uh, rundown of what your work looks like? Are you a full-time maker, or uh, do you do other things as well? Uh, no, actually, I'm. A, if I look at my life with four legs, uh, mm. three of the legs, I'm a teacher. So I okay. teach at school for... 80% and then I run my own mm. business uh, for for 20% but in reality it's like working 200% uh, <laughs> uh, when you when you have your own uh, business so yeah. it goes like a, a roller coaster from time to time sometimes I have um, extremely much to, to do uh, and uh, sometimes it's like more laid back yeah, with my time and during those laid-back uh, periods, uh, I have uh, 
the space to experiment and hmm. play around. Hmm, that's awesome. And like you said in, in the intro, yeah, I work with both wood and metal and I also done some uh, skin tanning and stuff and playing with hmm. fat and grease from animals and I'm awesome. pretty much interested in everything organic <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to see how you can use use it. And yeah. So, so I've been cheating around with a, a lot of different crafts and I'm extremely curious. Uh, if I see a picture or I hear a person talk about it, then I'm extremely eager to, to, to try out if I find it interesting. Hmm. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was actually last night. I was just uh, in preparation, going through your Instagram feed, and oh, I yeah. saw. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I like to do before we when before we have an interview. I just like to, you know, get the person's work fresh in my mind. Um, but there was a photo or a series of photos you had posted from the past, and um, it basically just showed me you've been at this a really long time. Um, and yeah. I was just curious, when did you first get into this? Uh, I was how, four years. How did you get into it? I was four years old, and uh, oh, nice. my, my grandfather, he was a retired baker man. And he, he, when he was active in his occupation, he, he actually had his own business, a small bakery, a family bakery. And then he retired, uh, and he was into this. Uh, he loved to carve burls and made bowls out of burls. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the only actual opportunity for me to spend time with him was to sit on a log in his workshop. Because uh, uh, he spent every wake hour outside in that workshop. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the thing with my grandfather, he was like, uh, as I remember him, he was extremely grumpy and uh, <laughs> sh sh short in his tone towards me. Uh, but I, I still I respected him and I felt I felt that love mm -hmm. behind the, the grumpy old man. Uh, and <laughs> two years two years later, I had the answer because he had uh, like severe kidney problems. Mm and uh, was in constant pain and uh, he also had this phobia for doctors and hospitals and stuff but uh, i remember i went back i was around seven or eight years old and then all of a sudden he was a uh, extremely warm and hmm. open open grandpa uh, yeah but i had a really deep relationship to him uh, and he's actually guilty for my my choice of of uh, <laughs> the way I run my life because uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, my interest for wood and uh, the forests and tools and stuff it, uh, yeah it was from a really early age oh that's amazing yeah what a great uh, the thing is, you. when I look back at it, because he never taught me anything about anything. Uh, <laughs> and he gave me this old Mora knife. It was uh, like decently sharp and so on, but the blade was much too long. So I mm. 
started my career as a wood carving wood carver with uh, getting lots of scars that I still wear with pride today. <laughs> but I cut, cut myself over and over and over again, but he never corrected me in any way. So it was like a, a tough learning curve. Wow. Mm. That's great. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's a great, great story. <laughs> uh, um, did he, was he, what kind of woodworking did he do exactly? Uh, mainly, he, and, and bowls and yeah, stuff. he was hollowing uh, bowls out of birch burls and stuff. Wow. Because mm. we were outdoors a lot, just picking berries and stuff. And um, mm. actually, it was my grandmother. She had like a a burl nose, so she couldn't. She was the one who found the burls in the woods. <laughs> uh, and my my grandfather was like, how? No, he didn't have that. Uh, sense but she yeah. had like a second sense for where to find those burls nice <laughs> so she pointed them out to him and uh, the, the day after he took me out in the woods and he had hmm. a chainsaw and we were collecting burls together hmm. nice um, and he, he was kind of special that old man because he was uh, mumbling and uh, afterwards when he had cut loose that burl he was he said thank you to the tree huh. mm. and uh, i understand that as a grown-up today but when i was a kid it was kind of odd actually but mm, uh, as yeah. a grown-up now and my own relationship to to the nature i understand completely what he's doing because yeah. I'm, I'm in like I'm a tree hugger myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It's funny. And, it's funny you say that because every time I take a tree down in the, you know, for firewood or whatever, yeah. Um, if I don't thank the tree first, it doesn't. It generally goes very poorly. The whole experience, you know, the tree will get snagged or my chainsaw will get stuck. <laughs> but if I take the time to to thank the tree, usually it'll let me uh, kill it a lot more <laughs> effectively. <laughs> Yeah. Please and thank you. And you can you could put in loads of aspects in this point of view, and some people say, "Ah, this is new age crap," and so on and so on. But mm, yeah. uh, to me, it's about connection to my origin, because uh, mm -hmm. we've been living outdoors longer than we've been like modern civilized so-called persons. Uh, so. Right. The connection to to mother, I I choose to to use the name of mother nature is uh, a stronger bond than to yeah. the, today's modern society. Absolutely. Um, the problem is that we lost almost all skills how to mm -hmm. behave outdoors and how to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Um, a friend of mine sent me this PDF the other day. Um, and it was a, a catalog of all of these bent knives. Um, I don't know yeah. exactly the, what the region of origin was. I, I didn't actually read the PDF. I was just looking at the photos. But they were just amazing, the the decoration and the skill in carving them. And they were, they were very old, a lot of them. And looking at it, it just really, I got this deep sense of like, 
just feeling how much skill has been lost over the generations to see yeah, yeah, yeah. these were things that people used and made every day as if it were nothing and they yeah. were just masterfully made and now you know it's like it takes it takes us years to learn these skills and people grew up just you know as if it were nothing it was just passed on like speaking yeah right yeah and uh I think it's uh, crucial to, to preserve the respect for our ancestors and their knowledge and skills. Because mm -hmm. it takes like one generation to, to kill thousands of years of knowledge. Yeah, it goes apparently. so super quick. Apparently. Uh, and I have this, this is my own theory, but uh, all over this globe today, people are feeling mentally bad and uh, and so on and so on and i i think they mm -hmm. lost connection mm. connection to yep. simplicity to the basic stuff that define yeah. us as human beings actually so and i think um sloyd and the crop is, is like a vessel mm -hmm. back to to the roots and uh, mm. I, I see it when i teach people here in sweden or if it's in uk or scotland or wherever or if i talk to people like you who you you understand me and i understand you uh, mm -hmm. but the thing is how 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 do we spread the word uh, it's yeah, like and, uh, yeah go on i was just going to say and when i think of your work that's honestly in in my progression as a, a person doing green green woodworking your work beyond just the physical things you make, but just the spirit of your work is very inspirational to me. And I, and when I was looking at those photos of, of the old photos you posted, you had a comment there on the description of how the fire of Sloyd is, is still in you and you'll do it till you, the day you die. And, yeah. 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 And <clears throat> I really think that is such an important piece of the whole experience is, is just the one it's the, connection to these ancient skills that are kind of in our dna to some extent yeah. and then also um just uh this uh what is the word i'm looking for? it's like yeah just this this deep uh connection through the skills to our lineage to nature and so on and i get that that comes through in your work for me just no matter what it is you're making i can just see that is what's inspiring and, and kind of coming through the the knife into the wood Oh, thank you so much. Uh, really <laughs> warms my heart hearing you say that. Uh, I, I sometimes I define myself as they ask, "Who are you?" Uh, and I'm just replying, "I'm Sloyd." Because <laughs> <I love laughs> to me, this is uh, this is actually it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Uh, I live mm. with this twenty four seven. Right. And. Uh, most of my mind and thoughts are occupied with either trees, the woods, or any form of craft. Uh, mm. Maybe it's kind of narrow-minded, but that's the way I I am. Uh, I was listening to that sequence with Reed Schwartz. Mm -hmm. I never had the opportunity to meet Reed uh, or Reed myself, but uh, I totally understand his point of view when he's talking about uh, his process. Yeah. 
And uh, I sometimes say that uh, if you've done your like 10,000 hours of practicing and then some more, if we talk about uh, the view in martial arts or stuff, uh, when you've done your 10,000 hours of work, you become like a master of something. Uh, mm-hmm. But to me, putting etiquettes on, on people and stuff like that, I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I define it as I, I've gone beyond. Mm. Uh, so to me, the, the crafting and the slow, it's a way of, uh, it's my way of uh, spirituality, actually. Mm, I, like I don't that. want wow. to. I don't want to define it as a religion because that would be mm-hmm. outrageous to do. But uh, no, I think I've gone beyond because uh, I feel I have a connection to and I communicate with what I don't know. But there is something mm. when I'm uh, performing or doing craft. So. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, I, 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 I need to do this, otherwise I will die uh, in my soul. <laughs> yes, yes. I agree. I, I feel that way a lot of times. That's actually how I've felt the past yeah. two months because um, just the way my life is, um, I'm, I'm a farmer, so you know, June and July are just very yeah, busy yeah, yeah. with lots of tasks. And especially now that I have a, a young daughter, it's, it's very difficult to... Um, to try and fit everything into a day so unfortunately my woodwork ends up getting put on the shelf sometimes during this season and uh i'm always itching by the time august rolls around i'm always itching to make as much time as i can to get in my shop and and uh make at least something so mm. thankfully that's happening now <laughs> yeah I, I know exactly what you mean uh i've been there in that position as well but my my kids are young adults today huh? mm. so now i have like <clears throat> loads of time <laughs> nice uh, that's what we got forward towards yeah 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 uh, so it will be both easier and uh, a bit more tricky the smaller the kid is the less problem you have the bigger kid you have, the bigger problem you will have. <laughs> but uh, I guarantee you will have more time for developing your craft and yeah, and strive onwards in on or in in your journey in this craft journey. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to teaching my daughter all of the skills I have, so that oh, she yeah. can, you know, if she wants to, she can she can yeah. carry them on. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, that's a super important thing to do because it's about identity and uh, kind of enlight uh, about our origin and so on mm-hmm. so it's a it's a big part of your identity yeah it's uh, important to give your kids at least uh, opening up that window and then they can make an active choice for my son now he's a uh finished carpenter he chose to study construction mm. during his college time and now he's he had his <clears throat> employment three weeks before graduation so he's nice and we have like small plans together about 
going a course in timber framing together and maybe start oh, nice. building timber houses and stuff. So, yeah, I'm happy. That's awesome. That he continues this heritage. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. So I'm curious, how did you end up from all of that um, with kind of the focus you have now, which is, it seems like you carve a lot of spoons and um, you make a lot of draw knives and other knives, chip carving knives. Um, yeah. How did, what was the progression from, you know, hunting burls in the woods to uh, getting into the spoon carving? And I mean, I've seen you've done a lot of different work, so. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of, what was the progression and how did you settle into where you are now? All right, uh, that's uh, it's been a long process actually. Uh, as I said, I started carving at the age of four, uh, and then during my juvenile period or teenage period, I was like more into practice as an athlete and uh, chasing girls and listening to <laughs> listening to music. So I didn't I didn't carve at all for many years uh, then I did my service time in the army and uh, mm. there was uh, long periods of doing nothing just mm. waiting 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 for performing an ambush or whatever it was and uh, I'm an extremely restless soul so I can't sit still <laughs> on my ass uh, I need to work with my hands all the time so I, I I carved smoking pipes and stuff okay. or just sitting down and whittling on a small branch or whatever to, to occupy my, my mind with something mm -hmm. else instead of mm -hmm. uh, waiting, waiting, waiting for nothing. So I always had this urge to, to produce with my hand, uh, hands and after the service time, I continued, went to officer school. Uh, and then overnight, I just uh, realized that this army life was not for me. Because uh, mm -hmm. it took like a, an a existential um, turning point. Because I was asking myself that night, was what's the purpose of this job, this work, mm. in in the long run? And my answer was to myself, it's about kill another human being because mm. your government or your superiors tells you this is your enemy, kill him or yeah. kill her. And I couldn't cope with that. So overnight, I just uh, I went up to my senior the day after. I still uh, had contact with him many many this is over 30 30 years ago hmm. but we, we we're still friends and you know, i told him I, I can't do this anymore and he just was quiet for a long while and then he looked at me and he said magnus i totally respect your your decision now and i will support hmm. i will support you on this one so hmm. and then uh, i had no clue about anything whatsoever because i've been so focused been being in the army and uh, i met my wife during that period of time and i was like uh, what am i good at except that i know 18 ways to end another person's life mm. and she was like you, you always 
uh, fiddling with your hands. And she was studying down in a town called Linköping here in Sweden. And she had this back thought to to get me down there to uni. So she said, uh, why don't you become a crafts teacher? Hmm. And I was like, yeah, why not? Because I had no idea whatsoever what to do with my life. So I went down there and made a, <clears throat> it was uh, a row of tests during two days. And I was totally convinced that they will never, ever have me on this teacher's program because all my, hmm. we were 150 people, I think, and they only had like 40, 40 places for hmm, four, wow. 40 teachers candidates. And I was totally convinced that uh, I, I flunked and failed the whole scenario. So hmm. that summer I was like walking on hot coals and then in August... <laughs> I had this phone call from Inchapping and they said you're you're welcome to start your studies here as to become a crafts teacher this autumn and the rest is history. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Nice. So yeah. And uh crafts teacher is that what type of school is that like a elementary school or Yeah, it's like, elementary uh... school from age 9 to 15. Uh, okay, wow. grade three Very to nice. grade nine uh, mm. but we also have uh, i always mix this up but do you call it college yeah mm -hmm. yeah after the primary school they also have like craft uh, educations on uh, a college level as well right and in my education i was taught uh, or i had the, the I can teach from young, young kids up to adults. Mm. Uh, and those years at the uni was extremely inspiring. I remember I worked extremely hard because I knew nothing about anything. So I had to, yeah, I had to try like 10 times harder than my friends who had backgrounds from uh, wooden educations from college I was like this language guy I studied languages when mm. I was at uh, college and the only thing I knew was uh, how to whittle with a knife and uh, swing mm -hmm. an axe a bit and that wow. was like and I was pretty alone about that uh, at uni uh, and I also had uh, my parents bought me Ville Sundqvist's book, Swedish mm. Carving Techniques, and uh, that was like a turning point to me during my educational mm -hmm. time as well, because uh, they wanted us to use machines and uh, like bandsaws, planers and stuff, yeah. and I was like, no, this is not my path. Mm -hmm. So I... This was around 93, I think. I was totally obsessed with that book. Uh, I still <laughs> am, actually. Because th yep. that's my... Yeah, I used to call it my Bible. Uh, <laughs> the book Villa wrote. Uh, but that was uh, my, my leading star. So I started to study that book and realized about all these different knife grasps and so on. So I started to practice from that book. I have never had anyone who showed me any knife grasps or 
whatever, but I was so convinced that this is my way of life from now mm. on. And then I also had like a, a vision or a longing for after uni, if I could combine working as a teacher and maybe run a small Slurry the Crafts business. Uh, and I had that like a beacon to myself, my my own uh, picture of goals to achieve. Mm. And then I tried to to strive for those simple goals in life. And yeah, I'm pretty pretty satisfied now. But it's been extremely hard work mm-hmm. uh, during many 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 years. Uh, yeah. But I believe if you really want something, then go for it. No matter what people tell you or... Uh, I had this argument with my father, actually. This was many, many years ago before I started my business. And he was like, do you think there will come any money out of uh, carving on pieces of wood magnets? <laughs> and I was like, what, what are you doing? What are you saying? Uh, do you believe in that? Yeah, I believe in that. And uh, nowadays he's extremely proud of me. And he's like, oh, are you going abroad this year to teach? Or <laughs> blah, 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 and so on and so on. Uh, so, so I believe <laughs> if you really believe in something, go for it. Yeah. Right. I agree. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I do because that's that's similar to my to my journey as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was it uh was it Billy's book that that took you to spoon carving then? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, that's awesome. And actually, I made a spoon during a survival course in the army because mm. they put mm. us out in uh, in nowhere and. I remember I hollowed that spoon with a piece of burning charcoal and uh, a straw mm. and scraped the bowl out with a, a flat stone. And I still had that spoon wow. spoon in my workshop. Mm. And then I made like a, a cord with a, a spruce root or whatever to, to have it in my belt, in my mm. trousers. But I still have that spoon on the wall in my workshop as a reminder this is where everything started. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. I wish I had my first spoon sometimes. <laughs> I don't have my first. That's amazing. Oh. So that was a long story in the short version. <laughs> <laughs> right. So once you got into the spoon carving, was it just a... Uh, basically like a rabbit hole and you just couldn't stop learning more skills? Kind of. Uh, and I realized now I'm 50 years old now, so I have, yeah, I know who I am today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have, uh, I have this thing in my personality that I get kind of obsessed with uh, different various things if i find something interesting i go all in Mm. 
Nice. And then I can do that for as long as I find any amusement in it. And then overnight, yeah. it can be something completely new. <laughs> and mm. that's like my craft journey has been so far. Um, so so there, I have had periods when I kind of get fed up with uh, spoon carving or dove bowls or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I, I just do something different, something new. But the spoons are... Uh, yeah, they are still a strong attraction to me because I think I yeah. learn something new by every spoon I carve. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I find the same thing too. What yeah. were you say, Mike? I was going to say the same Same goes for me. I started <laughs> with the spoon and that's what got me to where I am today. There's always something new that I would like to try. Or Absolutely. Just dabble into and, and if I find it interesting, I keep it up. Yeah. But yeah, I think the spoon is where it started. That's kind of, you know, the beginning for me. Mm-hmm. And the, like the how you thing put it with the spoon get... is... Yeah, go on. Oh, no, you, you go ahead. Yeah, and the thing with spoon is, if you look at a wooden spoon, it looks... Uh, or it could look simple, but that's one of the most complex things you can carve. Mm. Because mm-hmm. you're working like three dimensions all the time. Yeah. Um, and you have to make all these micro decisions all the time, all the time, all the time. And I was talking about this a bit uh, earlier about communicating with the piece of wood or the blank or whatever yeah. you carve. Because you get like uh, tactile information from the knife. You get information mm. from your hands. So you need to mm. communicate and cooperate with, with the spoon. Right. Because spoons can be extremely grumpy and, <laughs> yes, and harsh right. and unforgiving. You know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both been there. <laughs> yeah, the other day I was carving some uh, some mulberry wood, and it was two pieces from the same tree, but they had grown at different rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different parts, different parts of the tree. Yeah. And um, it was just it was so interesting the. So the one piece had really large growth rings and it was just carving like butter. It was just so easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece had really tight growth rings and it was just so difficult. And, <laughs> um, you know, wanting to split and do all these weird things that yeah. the other piece didn't want to do. And then you have like uh, inbuilt tensions in, in the wood. Right. You can find trees like that here as well. Uh, and, on the north side, the wood is like more compact and more mm. unforgiving compared mm. to the south side that's been towards the sun and the warmth and, mm. and so on. So, yeah, you, you can get a lot of knowledge and information from different types of <laughs> yeah. wood. Now, do you, I know it's very common in your but, area to carve a lot of white birch. Is that what you mostly work in? Yeah, uh, I think white birch is uh, what we have mostly here. Uh, And uh, the conditions of birches uh, don't vary so much. If you go up in the mountains, those birch trees can be, uh, have like more winding fibers and stuff. But yeah. uh, just an ordinary birch tree here is 
Yeah, I, I can't say it's like medium hard to carve and it's easy to carve, it splits easy and so on and so on. It's an extremely forgiving material to work with. Yeah. You don't have to put a lot of effort into a success, actually. Right. Yeah, I, I love carving white birch, but it, it doesn't grow where we live. And right. the closest the closest analog we have is uh, black cherry. Yeah. In terms of just, yeah, the you know, all the qualities of birch in a lot of ways transfer to black cherry. It's yeah. forgiving. It's not very hard. But then every once in a while, you can get a tree that's like just un... You can't even split it open. It has such interwoven grain that it's just impossible to split and you can't carve it because it's just unbearably dense mm -hmm. yeah um which is always, that that always fascinates me with just the how a site's condition will influence the quality of the tree right yeah absolutely uh they are like a product of where they have been growing if it has been in like a a rough and tough area with poor conditions, you get the wood with, with the, like the same. Uh, yeah, it's a harder piece to carve compared yeah. to, to to carve a piece of wood that's grown in a, a rich soil or a, a good uh, good with water and all the nutritious out from the root system yeah. and so on. So they are yeah, almost have, like humans. They, yeah, very much so. <laughs> They're humans that can't move. No. <laughs> yeah. They're stuck in place. They're stuck yeah. in place. So if they're uh, up on the dry ridge, then they're going to be probably twisted and grumpy. Uh, and absolutely. <laughs> And if they're on a nice ex moist, uh... ex exposed to wind and uh, harsh conditions. <laughs> Good. Good around, around here, um, one thing I'll see with, because I try to carve as much cherry as I can just because it is so easy to work with and it's pretty predictable if you get, you get a good consistency of the log. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really wild how different they can be. Like I was saying, I'm, Right around where where I live, there's not a whole lot of it. It tends to grow like in the hedgerows or along a fence line. Okay. And it doesn't get very good quality wood in those instances because it makes a lot of branches and it just it gets a lot more knotty. Yeah. But um, just up the mountain here on a, a neighbor's property, he has the most beautiful cherry trees and they get huge. They get tall really fast. They get up to like, some of them are almost two feet in diameter. They just get so big. Wow. Um, and it's not, you know, it's, it's literally like a miles or so difference in, in location. Yeah. So it's just wild to see how, how much those conditions will influence the quality of the wood. It certainly is. Uh, right now I'm sitting in, in our kitchen and I'm looking at one of my two mountains mm. and, uh, on the top, if I go up there and look for for birch, it's mostly pine trees and spruce trees and stuff, but there are okay. some, some birch trees as well. Uh, that wood is hard yeah. to work with. Uh, and then if I go down downhill, down to the water, to, to the river or creek, uh, then you have like, um, it's completely different to the top 
top birch. Uh, right. So if you want like a consistent, even wood, you should go to the middle of the mountain. Right. Because uh, hmm. the, the conditions there have been more more even compared to the top or close to water. So Right. Not one extreme or the other. But if I want crooks, then I go down to, to the riverbed. Ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, then you have like natural crooks. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, huh. Now, do you, do you carve a lot of crooks? Uh, I used to do. Uh, I still do. Uh, actually, today I found a piece of a crooked apple branch uh, in the mm. freezer. <laughs> Nice. So, uh, yeah, that has some crank and so on. Uh, it was a real nice piece of apple wood as well. Uh, so I started carving a, a spoon out of that today. Uh, uh, I used to only take crooks the first 10 years, I think, huh. after reading Billy's book. And he, he's, he was yeah, a warm, was warm talker about uh, the benefits of crooked wood. Yeah. And so that was... Uh, <laughs> Like the, the only option for me at that time. And then I met uh, uh, an old guy here in Sweden. His name is Knut Östgård. Uh -huh. uh, we were together at Sätegläntan. Uh, and we had lunch together and I had no clue who he was. But we, we sat side by side uh, having our lunch. And he was like, uh, after a while, uh, you're Magnus. Yeah, I'm Magnus. And, uh, and you are, sir, uh, Knut, he answered. I was like, yeah, okay, Knut, Knut Östgård. And then I was like, I recognize that name. Because he, uh, he was the reason that shrink pots, shrink pots here in Sweden took like a, a rebirth. Ah. Uh, and then we ended up carving side by side. And he was like, uh, I would like you to show you one of my methods, carving a spoon, uh, that he had taught from an old man whose name was Jalmar hmm. who, who made wooden spoons professionally uh, and Knut showed me two methods the one when you split out the log with uh, standing grain mm -hmm. and then when you cut the spoon from the bark side mm -hmm. so he actually he taught me those two methods and then I <coughs> I realized that this was so much easier uh, and saving time and so on. So I prefer nowadays to actually split up and go with the standing grain through the spoon as well, because yeah. uh, that's the closest you get to a, a crooked piece mm -hmm. of wood mm -hmm. uh, if you know how to, to prepare the blank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because you have to, yeah, you need to do right. Otherwise, you will have a, a weak weak spoon that snaps off or, or cracks or whatever. Yeah. Now, I feel like in my mind, your one of your signatures is your chip carving. Yeah. Because um, you do a lot of beautiful, ornate chip carving. And you're probably one of the first people I ever saw that was doing a lot of it on their work. Um, where did you get the idea for that initially? Uh, Originally, I think I saw some kind of uh, 
a pot or something like that on a museum uh, hmm. with ship carving. And I was like, what is this? And uh, <laughs> I had no idea whatsoever uh, what it was. And then I had this name, uh, ship carving or karvsnitt in Swedish. And then I looked up uh, the German version of the Kerfschnitzen. So I started to looking for information about that. And this was like in the beginning era of the internet and so on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I tried to, to look for it on, online. And then I found this uh, author, uh, Wayne Barton, hmm. who wrote or has written a lot of books about chip carving. Uh, but first I started, I just fippled around myself and tried to figure out how, how to make a two-sided chip mm-hmm. or three-sided chip or cutting a straight line or a curved line. or So it was a lot of experimenting. Uh, mm-hmm. and I remember I used uh, like a V-gouge in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I abandoned that quickly because mm-hmm. I needed... I was thinking like this uh, minimalistic way. Uh, can I perform the same thing with just my Sloyd knife? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked as long as I had like a short blade and I, I could put a piece of duct tape so I don't uh, peel off my long, <laughs> long finger knuckle and so on. <laughs> um, and then I found some pictures of ship carving knives and... Uh, uh, as a toolmaker, I started to to make make different types of knives and try them out, and uh, most of them ended up in the dustbin, totally <laughs> useless and worthless. But uh, I work with wood, and I think my hands have all the information today about how uh, a decent tool should be made. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's like nowadays as well. I experiment a lot and make lots of prototypes and stuff and try them out. And Mm. so, yeah, that was a long side run now on on the topic, how I got into ship carving. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, then it was just practice, practice, practice. Uh, And then uh, I didn't apply the ship carving on spoons in the beginning, I, I think I just had like uh, test boards or practicing boards mm-hmm. uh, with plain kind of uh, linden wood, aspen wood, older, yeah. softer wood. Uh, and I practiced, 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 and then I started to challenge myself. And I thought, can I can I make this pattern on a spoon? And I tried, and it was fail. I made another spoon mm-hmm. fail, and so on, and so on, and so on. So uh, around a hundred failed spoons before I felt like, yeah, uh, now, now I've got something. <laughs> that's awesome. That's pretty good. I'm curious when, when your, uh, your journey started on, on the tool making path, obviously the Swedes have had a long history of, of making tools and especially yeah. wood carving tools. We all know about Grandsforce Brooks and Mora knives. And so what, what inspired you to, to get into tool making and how did that path start for you? I will try to answer that question. Uh, the thing is, as I told you, as a kid, I was extremely interested in uh, 
running around in the woods and uh, I was building shelters and stuff. And I always had this uh, romantic love to the Viking Age. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I started at uni in 93, I had this uh, dream. I would just, I just wanted to make one knife from uh, a piece of uh, steel rod. And the thing is, uh, I went into that blacksmith shop and I never got out until I graduated from the uni. I, I became totally obsessed with this process. Uh, and uh, my teacher at uni, because uh, around year three, then it was time for start making the blacksmith. Thing. Mm -hmm. but I started uh, during year one so they actually one of my teachers called me one night and he was like uh, Magnus uh, we would like you to be the main teacher of the, the tool making process and I was mm. like what because uh, <laughs> you you've gone beyond our skills right now so we're gonna pay you for can you teach oh, your wow. classmates and I said that's no problem and we want you to uh, describe uh, the process of uh, how to make twisted steel or Damask steel. Oh, and wow. I was like, what the heck? Because uh, it's <laughs> impossible to see that when you have uh, a hot piece of right. metal. So I, I was thinking, thinking, thinking. Uh, then I went down to a, a toy store and I bought white and black uh, what do you call it? Mod modern clay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I described the process with uh, clay. Because huh. metal and clay acts exactly the same way. Because yeah. we, we talk That's about working, uh, it's the same plasticity in both yeah, metal right. and clay. So, And that method lived on after I graduated, actually. When yeah. I, uh, um, so no, no, I, I got completely obsessed with uh, the hammer and the anvil. Mm. Um, and that's been a long, 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 long process as well. Uh, and I still make uh, failures today. Because mm. I, I remember when Reed was talking in his um, episode, uh, you need to have like a, the correct mindset when you're mm. making a tool. Otherwise, it's a bad tool day, and then you should do something else. Because if you're not like <laughs> one thousand percent focused and concentrated on the process, do something else. Cut the lawn, right. or pick some berries, or whatever. So, <laughs> I have uh, I have my days. Uh, I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, yeah, today it's tool making day, and uh, I realize this is the wrong day. <laughs> then I do something else instead. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, fascinating. It's like two two worlds, actually. The, the world yeah. with uh, the wood and so on, and the world with metal. Because both mm. worlds have rules mm -hmm. that, yes. that you need to learn <laughs> and stick to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And relearn over and over again. Yeah. 
I must say the uh, the draw knife I have of your from you is uh, one of my favorite tools. I use it on my spoon mule. Oh, and, thank uh, you so much. And on, and on a shape horse from time to time. And I just it's funny because I've had other oh like I've I've gotten old um, draw knives in the past and restored them just like a traditional pattern. Yeah. And they never really I, they work, but they never really did it for me. They just never kind of fit into my flow. But your draw knife is just i love the curve of it and everything about it is just so ergonomic and um i when i use it i'm not i don't even have to think about how to use it It just is so intuitive Mm. um and it's just amazing it's it's such a great design because it's very little steel relatively um but it's very strong and very powerful with the the way the blade is curved and the angles kick it oh thank you thank you so and is, the, that, the, is that an original the story design, of that drawn knife is actually uh, somewhere? Nah, the, 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 the inspiration actually got from my kids at school because I bought a couple of, I'm not going to mention the name of the makers now, but I bought uh, <laughs> a couple of draw knives because I tried to implement this green woodworking at school as well. So they make shrink yep. pots and spoons and stuff. Uh, mm. and. The draw knife was uh, was a big problem for the smaller kids because they start hacking. Yeah. And then I just stood and looked at uh, the movement of the tool when they were working mm. with it. And I was like, uh, if I should make, try to make a draw knife and I curve the sole a bit and then I curve the edge line a bit, then maybe we could get rid of this hacking. Hmm. Uh, so I made a, a couple of prototypes, uh, had the kids to try them out, and I said, told them, you need to be super harsh and honest with me, because <laughs> if it's a crappy tool, tell me, and it won't <laughs> affect your grades or anything, but you need to be totally honest with me now. And then after a couple of months, uh, I managed to make a, a draw knife that it's very much like the ones I make today uh, mm. with those principles, with like two curved mm. curved lines. Uh, yeah. So it's That's thanks awesome. thanks to the kids. That's amazing. Gosh. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it works so well. It's hard for me to use. Like Mike has a couple of traditional ones, and when I use them, it's just like, uh, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's cool that the kids helped you evolve that design. It's so great. Yeah. I do that uh, nowadays as well. Sometimes because uh, we we make some uh, ship carving in grade seven, and okay. then I yeah I have bought knives like File and Stubai and those brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never use them myself. But uh, I can sit and carve together with the kids, and they are like super curious about my little toolbox. And, mm-hmm. and they are, oh, Magnus, what kind of knife is this? And I say, try it out. And then it's often one of the ones, uh, the homemade ones. And they can be like, oh, this one, your tool is much better than this. Your tool is much better <laughs> than this. So, and then sometimes I. I I let them try prototypes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
another another piece of your blacksmithing that I really appreciated was you have a, another photo on your Instagram of your uh, your setup, and you said something about how it's not flashy but it's effective, and mm. I really appreciated that because uh, in any hobby or craft or skill, there's there's always the temptation to to want the best. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. And you just had what looked like we're just, you know, I saw a bench grinder and a belt sander. Yeah. And um, I mean, what more do you need, really? Yeah. Um, and both the, the bench grinder, it was actually a, a flea market buy. Uh, oh, nice. And I had that one for 10 or 12 years, I think. And then nice. last year now, I actually, then I, I bought a new bench grinder with a much bigger radius of the stones because mm -hmm. I get the work done a bit faster and more accurate because uh, mm -hmm. a small uh, small diameter or radius of the stone yeah it has its limits so I, uh, sure. I treated myself with a, a fabric new one but mm -hmm. uh, the equipment I use are like the stuff you find in, uh, what do you call it? Uh, antique shops? No, not in an antique shop. Like a hardware store? Yeah, in a hardware store. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to show that it don't need to be super flashy, super expensive, and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, very but true. It's the same, big... same thing in, in the, the wood carving community. Uh, mm. When I, for example, when I, been teaching in England or Scotland, my red flag goes up when uh, a participant shows up with like a rucksack full of tools. <laughs> then, then, then my warning system starts to ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> and they have the, like this fetish for super uh -huh. expensive tools. And uh, yeah. that's not the same thing as being a good performer. With a tool, right? Right. So, uh, right. Those with uh, like a, a decent amount of tools or a normal amount of tools, then then it's <laughs> green light. But when you have like a big uh, Stanley toolbox <laughs> packed with uh, sixty-five different axes, forty-five different <laughs> draw knives, and uh, another extra backpack with knives, then my al yeah. alert system kind of goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tool dealer right there <laughs> exactly that's an that's an addiction yeah. <laughs> I, I have a this year uh, I'm actually I have I have like a zillions of tools too too many tools actually if you can have mm -hmm. too many tools but uh, this huh. year's project for me is to I'm gonna minimalize uh, mm, and nice. uh, probably sell yeah. away or give away to people that don't have that's good the money that's uh, awesome. but that's good try to simplify things more because i i get distracted <laughs> yeah with too many yeah. tools and uh, you should support every tool and so on and so on so right i think there's a lot to say about simplicity and having tools that do the job and do it well yeah and just getting used to using that tool all the time you know, because having options sometimes can be complicated because you're like, oh, which one should I use today? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you only have one that does that <laughs> job well, you only got the one. <laughs> uh, you you know about Fritjof, Fritjof Runhall? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're hoping to yeah. interview him at some yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, he's like my role model right now because uh, his mm. setup with tools is uh, super simple, super cheap. He has a couple of old Mora knives and uh, flea market access and stuff. But extremely small amount of tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he stick to his simple way. And I, I find that admirable. <laughs> yeah, I would like absolutely. to be like him one day. <laughs> Mike is kind of like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I have too many tools for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, be, it does become a problem. For example, my, um, my axes, I have like three axes that I really, really like. Yeah. And, um, I don't know what was going on, but for some reason, I, I think my chopping block, there was something in there that ruined the edge on three of them. And so I just mm. set them aside and grabbed another one because yeah. I, I have quite a few. Right. And the problem is now they're just sitting there. And <laughs> every time I see them, I think about how I need to repair them. <laughs> oh, but right. I don't because I have another axe I yeah. can use. <laughs> uh, and my advice to, to you, Mark, just do it. Just go for re- it. Man. Just go for it. I know. I need to do it. I just I, that's a big problem I have with my woodwork is um, I, when I go in my shop. My shop is not organized really at all, and it has a little bit of order, but it's not. Uh, if you were to compare Mike's shop to mine, mine looks like an absolute disaster. Yeah, uh, uh, I have like an organ, uh, organized chaos in mind, but I, I, I know exactly where I have every tool. There are too, uh, too many tools. The thing with my tools is that I have like a, a relationship to each tool, and each tool mm. has uh, mostly some kind of history. It could be a mm. gift from a crafting friend who made that tool. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of a, a hard divorce. I, I <laughs> begin to realize that, but uh, it's necessary to to get on in this process. Uh, yeah, I agree. Not more than you need, and maybe some extra, but that's it. Right, right. Yeah. For me, for me, I feel a lot of guilt, like having two or three axes that I don't use. I'm like, you know. These are just sitting on the shelf collecting dust. Yeah. I'd much rather give those to somebody or sell them to somebody yeah. who's going to, you know, use them well. And so that way the tool is actually having a good life rather yeah. than just sitting on the shelf in my shop. Yeah. So that I just, I do feel pure guilt knowing that I have too many tools and I'm not using all of them. So I just get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, Fred, but that's Fred a, Lipsa had a good. That's the same, uh, same uh, approach to, to it. Uh, as mm-hmm. you say, we got shelves full of uh, dust collectors, year yeah. after year after year after year. It's it's better than to to sell them away or give them away to those who who can't afford. Maybe if you like that person, give it away instead of. Yeah, that's a great satisfaction than just absolutely looking at the dust collectors. Fred, on uh, when we talked to Fred, he said something about. Um wooden spoons that he always tells people is if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the same is true for tools. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It'll get, it'll get dusty or rusty or yeah. Yeah. You'll don't misplace it. it. 
And I mean, think of the tool. It was made to be used. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's got feelings too. <laughs> it needs to live a good life. And Absolutely. it's not going to live a good life just sitting on the shelf. Yeah. We, we should start like a tool orphanage for aban <laughs> abandoned, for forgotten tools. <laughs> a, like a haven. <laughs> this tool's in need of a good home. It's That's been, right. been abandoned for years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a few I can put up for... Uh, for adoption yeah <laughs> yeah Seriously. and the we thing is with, uh, I, I like if, that idea if you look at the the tool market today it's kind of uh, it's insane actually i had this uh i had this guy he bought a draw knives a draw knife from me and uh, mm -hmm. he sold it and he mm. emailed me and was like super happy he was like you know what uh I earned money, so I actually made a profit and sold <laughs> oh it goodness. for for uh, a higher price than I bought it for. And I was like, "It's your choice, and I don't want to know." And I heard the same thing with Nick Westerman's uh, mm -hmm. knives, or and I think that's uh, that's a bit crazy. Yeah, I, I can't wrap my head around the tool market because yeah, there's so many different makers, and they all seem that it seems like from what i've what i've observed they can't keep stuff in stock mm -hmm. no or like someone like nick westerman you have to wait you know a year to, i waited 14 months yeah you have to wait almost <laughs> over a year to get the yeah. opportunity to even look at you know what he has on offer mm -hmm. right no i think uh, nick is kind of lying lying low nowadays with uh, yeah. the tool making i know aid uh, and uh, david cockcroft Mm -hmm. They they buy like harden and annealed blanks and uh, they make like the grind. Yeah, okay. Grinding process. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's the same yeah. thing with the Holy Grail with Bo Helgeson, the Swedish guy. Uh -huh. And uh, I'm not sure if I should say this in in the pod. I, I have uh, I have a lot of his knives and so on. I never had this problem with waiting. Uh, and, but Bo has stopped making wood carving tools now i think hmm. uh, so i actually i avoid to to bring them out when i have courses and stuff and people oh it's a bow helgeson knife and i and i'm like what <laughs> and so what it's just an a good spoon knife or yeah. a good carving knife because i don't believe in uh, holy grails when it comes to tools yeah either the tool makes a job good or it doesn't so and then you have some Agreed. in between so and that's uh yeah i i don't believe in that uh <laughs> now do you, do you think that the tool makers are selling so much i mean you must see this a little bit yourself making the tools you do is it because do you think it's because there's a lot of people trying to get xyz type of knife from whatever maker or is it because there is a shortage of, I mean, obviously you could probably get a Mora knife anywhere, um, but maybe the, I'm, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think there's so much interest and people are getting such a point with their skills that they're like, okay, well, I'm ready to try X maker's knife. Could, or, could be. Uh, I'm not sure about people's mo motives for, for buying tools. Uh, I yeah, have maybe. like, I have my own favorite makers. Uh, my favorite carving knives 
are from other makers. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I get that this question sometimes from colleague blacksmith, but you're a tool maker yourself. Why do you want to buy my knife? And I, I, I want to try it out and see if I like it. And uh, I believe in sharing bread. You mm-hmm. should not be uh, egoistic. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have no problem. There's no prestige in uh, for for me to buy another toolmaker's tool. Yeah, yeah, I make decent tools myself, uh, but uh, I find it super interesting to try out another maker's knife or another maker's tool or whatever, because I learn a lot from uh, changing tools. And that's mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. my process to to vary myself, to challenge myself, to to learn how to use that tool efficient. And then, yeah. of course, I have my favorite makers and favorite tools and, and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I myself, I stopped. Uh, I, I never do pre-orders or uh, okay. order book or blah, 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 because I got like stressed out and uh-huh. and I lo- lost the happiness and the love uh, mm. of tool making so I, I have a, a bunch of emails each week all year round Magnus hmm. when it's time for the next batch and I'm like mm. I don't know I don't have a clue <laughs> uh, can I can I can I pre-order draw knife sorry uh, when I have a batch of tools I put them up on on Instagram and uh, Hopefully they find a new home and then I can mm-hmm. just relax. Yeah. <laughs> That's important. Mm. That's important. Yeah, I like I like that idea. Yeah. I think as a maker, your soul and your happiness lives in a place where you can work from a creativity standpoint rather yeah. than I'm just trying to meet the demand and, and, and my production is just stressing me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I see myself, I'm a maker. I'm not a fabric Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a maker with a heart and a, a soul, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't like to abuse myself with stress. Yeah, right. I right. try to avoid that. Yeah, <laughs> that's smart. <laughs> well, you were saying with tools, I like to do that with um, spoons and and bowls and cups and so on as well. Just to, I like getting them from other makers so I can just learn different ways of going about it absolutely I, I i do learn a lot and i use them all the time so i'm always learning more about how to make you know a spoon different aspects about a spoon that i've never thought of yeah. trying right and that's a that's an extremely humble way of approaching if we talk about spoon carving uh, to compare other makers and go in with those glasses that uh I'm gonna learn something new from this spoon, mm-hmm. uh, and I be- yeah. I believe in that. Uh, now, with the it seems like the spoon market, if we were just to to describe it in that way, has gotten really competitive because there's so many mm. really high quality spoon makers now. If you go on Instagram and look at the Absolutely. spoon hashtag, it's just yeah, and you can actually. You can actually blame Spoonfest for that uh, <laughs> in, in, in a positive way. Right. Uh, 
I've been around, I've been to Spoonfest a couple of times and uh, I can see the progression and the amount of high quality spoons now. Yeah. Uh, compared to the first, I, I think I went over the second year they ran Spoonfest and ever since I've yeah. been on every Spoonfest except for 2018. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like, it's the mecca of uh, spoon carving. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. I'm super happy that both uh, Barn and Robin has kept, kept the concept. And then I, mm. I also want to make a shout out in, for, for the great Scottish Spoon Holy. Mm, yeah. uh, that's another festival. It's uh, comparable to Spoonfest in its in its beginning. It's mm-hmm. small. It's intimate, uh, and uh, yeah, I enjoy both festivals very much. Mm. Um, so if you ever have uh, your ways over to Europe or. Don't hesitate to go on. Go over. Yeah, we've we've definitely talked and daydreamed about going to Spoonfest and yeah. mm-hmm. making it a a, a Sloydcast, uh, you know, expedition. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It'd be uh, so fun. Because uh, I'd like to go to Sweden too. Yeah, <laughs> we have a. I think. The only festival right now is uh, Telefest, and they mm-hmm. run Telefest every every three years. So mm. the first one was, I think, in two thousand thirteen, and then sixteen, and then the last one two years ago in nineteen. Mm. And then I believe you have a a couple of uh, gatherings and fests in the U.S. as well. The meal and spoon gathering. uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And uh, I know Oren and the guys in Israel, they meet up on like regular basis as well. Right. uh, Mm -hmm. Have both like small festivals and uh, come together weekends. Yeah, we've been we've been brainstorming about some kind of event that we could hold here to to kind of bring people like that together. We do a small one every. Well, we've been trying to do it every year. We didn't do it last year. But, um, uh, it's very small, but uh, it's just so fun to get together with people, and um, irregardless of their skill level, experience, that none of that really matters. It's just about right. getting together and and you know just having fun together, carving stuff, making stuff, learning from each other. Absolutely. Uh, trying new tools and new techniques. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in my role as a teacher, I, when I run a course with uh, different participants, you can have everything from absolutely beginners to intermediate to advanced carvers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always try to approach that course with uh, I'm going to teach people at the same time as I learn so much mm-hmm. as possible from mm-hmm. my different participants. And my favorites from now and then are actually the, the beginners because they remind me of the, 
Right. Yes. What I think is, uh, it's super clear, but the thing is that I kind of forgot those super important questions during yeah. my own travel, this spoon carving journey. So yeah. Yeah. I think you should be extremely humble and open-minded about that because uh, beginners can teach you a lot yeah absolutely yeah I've, i found the same to be true teaching someone that's never even used an axe yeah. yeah you have to you have to go back in your mind yeah and and break it down to the simplest form right and uh, yeah that's always a it's always challenging but it's also i i also learn a lot when i try to do that and hmm. um and it's cool I always think it's cool to see how most people with a little bit of guidance, they can pick it up pretty quickly. Yeah. And the, the curve of progression is like uh, a space rocket Yeah, uh, com <laughs> compared to uh, an intermediate carver or an advanced carver. Because uh, if you are on, on like an advanced level, there are often extremely small adjustments to improve a yeah. certain uh, momentum of mm. a grasp uh, change the pressure a bit there or change the angle a bit there and uh, and you don't see the progression in the same way as uh, when you teach uh, an absolute beginner or yeah. intermediate carvers as well and I, I find that extremely satisfying uh, mm -hmm. when you have a group of people that like you said never used an axe or used a, a knife and see that progression hour by hour and yeah. that humbles me and it also gives me uh, a picture of myself and my own process and I realize mm. oh shit I've been through this process as well <laughs> and that moment was like super hard or I that uh, momentum I got over real quick but I had a hard mm. time doing this and that and so on and so on I have this. Uh, I have this memory. Me and Jared Dahl. Uh, we were teaching in England at one mm. occasion, and about nerdiness. Uh, <laughs> we were a couple of curves, uh Yeah, on, on advanced level, we were kind of analyzing a knife stroke and trying to figure out why we had a, a loss of pressure at the end and. Then later that night, I, I spoke to my wife, and she was like, ah, we're having a good time there over in the UK. And I was like, yeah, all right. I, I finally figured out this. And she was like, Magnus, please keep that stuff to yourself. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> this is... <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so I, I believe we, I we, we reach a, a level of nerdiness after a while. Oh, we yeah. start to analyze... And, micro moments <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I enjoy that <laughs> me too me too absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's funny our wives don't enjoy it that much but we do <laughs> no 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 exactly exactly uh, I, we were cleaning out our freezer today uh with some old food and stuff and uh i have like the gross compartment at the bottom of the freezer where i keep like <laughs> fish skins spoon blanks uh -huh. uh, <laughs> nice nose it's not chewing tobacco but uh it's like fine shop tobacco that we yeah. use yeah nice. uh, she looked at me and she was like yeah you can keep that 
at the bottom of the tree so in case <laughs> we get powerless and it starts to melt because then we're oh, overhanging risk for a, a, a certain amount of stench i believe yeah <laughs> that's funny um so i wanted a couple of things i wanted to bring up um one you i feel like you're one of the first people that brought the uh the skull to the spoon world and uh as a motif mm. um I? <laughs> I don't well i mean at least in my yeah in my awareness i think you were the first person i ever saw put a skull on a spoon yeah uh, or to bring that motif into the sloyd realm could be um, could be uh uh i said this before but nothing new under the sun Right. So, so I don't want to like breast up now and say yeah, I was the pioneer of the first one. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know. I have no clue. Uh, according to Owen Thomas, I was uh, at least one of the first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's actually that's connected to my my taste of music. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. Yeah. Heavy uh, metal. And I find a lot of it. Yeah, and uh, I'm more into not heavy metal, but uh, death metal extreme metal okay. oh, death metal okay yeah, yeah like in flames uh, at the gates arch enemy and so on all swedish bands of course but yeah uh, the, the more extreme uh, metal scene uh, yeah i like yeah. heavy metal music as well but and uh, yeah in my process i listen to a lot of uh, music not just extreme metal i i love folk music classical mm. music uh singer songwriters as well i found this yeah. english lady now catherine pretty that is mm. her voice is like knocking me out mm. she's like a mixture between enya and uh, an angel from heaven most right. amazing voice uh so no uh, if i get to the point i get a lot of uh, inspiration from listening to music and uh, right. i get pictures in my head and forms figures colors uh, shapes i can't explain mm. it but something happens in my brain uh, when listening to music so it's mm. uh, it's a big part of my life yeah that's awesome and how does I, I I'm not super familiar with like the with metal or any any variation of metal music. That's okay. You're um, a decent person. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. Uh, sorry. You're, you're, no, it's a good. I like that joke. <laughs> that's a good joke. I have some friends that are into it. Um, yeah. And some family members, but um. So like the skull motif is it about is it about like um at least the way I interpret it is about recognizing our mortality. Mm. Yeah. The thing is, uh, being born is a natural thing. Mm -hmm. We all, we have all been born by a mother. Yeah. Uh, and we, we talk about the birth as positive, uh, and so on and so on. And then we have, on the opposite side, the end of the life cycle, death. Yep. Uh, and the, the modern 
human today, they tend to avoid the fact that we are all going to die. Mm-hmm. And death is sad and death is the end of everything uh, and so on and so on. Right. Uh, so I, I think I'm... Uh, why should death be sad? Mm. Uh, and why is the birth a reason for for joy and happiness because uh, my 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 view of the thing is uh, a person who dies hopefully they have lived a long rich life yeah uh, and then they go back into eternity or a- another part of the life cycle mm-hmm because uh, I don't believe in death because yeah. nothing can die uh, energy is constant it only yeah, changes right. shape and form but energy is constant so a person or a pet or whatever who who dies of course it's sad I yeah. cried my eyes out of all the cats that I've lost uh, <laughs> yeah through the years and i buried them home at our farm as well so mm-hmm. yeah okay death is sad but uh, to me it's a natural part of uh, the life process yeah absolutely life. and also it's uh you you find the skull in uh, different cultures and we all have a like a approach to both birth and death in hmm. regardless of cultural context or where you come from uh, we all are related to it uh, yeah so i think uh, yeah maybe when i make skulls it's uh, it can be a way to subconscious provoke hmm. uh, or uh, i can be pissed off with something or uh, mm-hmm just playing around and feeling the yeah. urge today i want to make a skull and i make a skull <laughs> i love it or that when you die you'll just your energy will flow into a spoon that has a skull on it and you'll just live forever <laughs> maybe who knows because <laughs> uh, the cycle of a wooden spoon the life cycle of a wooden spoon i have spoons from my my father's grandfather mm. he, oh, he wow. was also a um he is a great inspiration and role model to me, uh, my grandparents' parents, because uh, he was a, a poor farmer boy. Uh, he was auctioned out. He was an orphan. Hmm. was auctioned out uh, on a, a child auction. It was quite common. My grandfather was oh. uh, auctioned out as well because they lost their parents. He was only 13. Wow. And they were auctioned out, and uh, it was quite common in Sweden in the early days. Interesting. Uh, but my my father's grandfather, his name was Eric. Uh, he was like, if that man had had the opportunity to study, uh, I believe he would have gone extremely far 
because uh, hmm. I'd read letters that he wrote. He only went for folk school for like two or three years. Uh, he, re- uh, he wrote poetry and extremely beautiful love letters to my father's grandmother and so on. And he, he, also, he was a farmer. He, was a, he could build houses. He could build boats. He made shoes. Uh, he made wooden spoons, wooden items for the kitchen. Uh, he fixed people's uh, broken clocks and stuff. My goodness. All learned by uh, logic thinking because he wasn't mm. schooled. He was smart. That's mm. awesome. Uh, so I, actually, I have a, a couple of pictures in my workshop that my father, my father was uh, amateur photographer when he grew up and he took pictures in black and white of Eric and I have a couple of those portraits in my workshop because uh, yeah, he's kind of over over watching my work hmm. uh, and my, my father says that sometimes that uh, the skills jumped for one generation you had what I didn't <laughs> have because you're uh, you're like Eric my great grandfather or my grandfather wow so it's a, that's a good grade to hear from your own father. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So I feel sometimes I, I actually I have a heritage to to live up to or try to bring on. And I actually I brought a couple of Eric's spoons uh, to UK when I taught. Uh, hmm. I made some templates out of it, and I know Jane Micklesborough. Uh, mm-hmm. she made a couple of replicas and her own uh, variation or design or touch on that spoon but and I told Jane uh, Eric never got to travel he was like a farmer boy uh, but now he's been traveling all over the globe in his head <laughs> just by his spoons That's awesome. uh, and to get back to, to the the, the starting point of this, uh, where the the life cycle of the spoon. Mm. Yeah. Can a spoon die? I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> no. I don't think it can. Deep philosophical matters here, but uh, <laughs> yeah. We we love to get nerdy, so it's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it's funny actually. Um, so I'll use the sweepings from my shop floor as mulch in the garden or mm, yeah. uh, my compost, this, the finer stuff I put into our compost. And um, every once in a while, I'll be walking through the garden and there'll be this spoon blank that didn't work yeah. out, just sitting there <laughs> rotting in the path. Yeah, and providing soil for the, for the plants. Yeah. So uh, if all else fails. I completely understand you. Uh, we have chickens here. Yeah. I I built this chicken house like three years ago, uh, and uh, inside that small area, there were two trees that we need to cut down. Yeah. But I kept the the stumps. You call it stump? Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, for axe, like two axe blocks. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been carving axes together with my chicken. And I have this 
favorite girl i called her my girls uh, her name was madicken and she used to sit on that block <laughs> uh, just watching me carving a spoon uh, and the last blank i did just uh, she died two years ago uh, i left that blank on uh, the stump and it's been yeah. lying there for two years now because <laughs> uh, i will never ever make a spoon together with my chickens again mm. so that's like a, a salute to my chicken malikken <laughs> mm. that's, <laughs> that's awesome. uh, and i that's i lovely. see that spoon blank yeah all year round and it starts to crack and it's become gray and black and <laughs> but it's just kind of a end of a life cycle as well so it's mm. uh, yeah you, you can choose to say ah that's new age stuff or whatever but to me it's uh, a visual reminder of um, life and death yeah yeah truly i love that i think that's you know it is funny how a lot of that stuff gets written off as whatever but um you know our ancestors they didn't most pretty much all of our ancestors they didn't see the world in that way they saw it as very much alive absolutely a rock to a tree to yeah animals and humans the same thing as you, you said uh, there's nothing wrong to ask for permission from the tree or yeah. say thank you for the material because uh, whether we like it or not uh, biologically we are still in the stone age as human beings uh, we are connected to nature whether we like it or not uh, people get lost today uh, mental illness and so on and so on and so on and right. uh, we pack them up with pills and therapy and stuff mm. and i have my own solution for that go out for christ's mm -hmm. sake hug a tree sit down on the ground with your ass on the ground, make a fire yeah. and just breathe. Yes. Just breathe. Because right. that's the place where we belong. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. We can a great, it's a great therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I work with kids at school. Uh, I have kids nowadays that's hardly been outdoors with their parents. Oh, and uh, a common comment is actually after a couple of hours, I feel so relaxed. No mm. cell phone, no Snapchat, no nothing, just yeah. ass on the ground, getting grounded. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I, I also teach children in a garden setting, and yeah. it's amazing to see what a few hours in a garden will do for a child. Yeah. Mm. Um, you should uh, actually speak to a friend of mine. Her name is Ayala Weiss. She's an okay. Israeli lady that I met in 2018 when I went to Israel and held a masterclass spoon carving. Uh, we became friends. And she, she's been all over to UK as well. But uh, she runs a business with just a concept. Uh, people with uh, yeah, kind of mental illness or 
not feeling so good get out to yeah. her farm uh, they grow things together they pick fruits uh, they are making honey or making baskets or whatever uh, hmm. so yeah today we, we tend to make um, like shortcuts back to well-being by prescript pills and stuff and i said right. get back to your roots get to know who you actually are yes as a human being and then yeah. you wouldn't need those so-called helps okay. and maybe that's a, a way to simplify things and things can be much more complex than that but yeah i, I think we overall should be more grounded Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ass on the ground. <laughs> Ass on the ground. <laughs> that is so important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should say that to my my little uh, <laughs> eight and nine year olds. They'd love that. <laughs> they would uh, say he said a bad word. <laughs> yeah, say bum or the back bum. backside or uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it works. It's so true, and I think that's why there is such a renaissance around Sloyd and green woodworking and so mm. on, because, and I've said this many times, but people are just yearning for some connection to nature yeah. and, um, you know, the, the constant screens and all the distractions, yeah. it, it just yeah. is a little bit numbing and nature is so restorative and, uh, learning a skill is so empowering and all that stuff. I saw this, um, scientific program on t TV last night it was from Japan uh, where the scientists have figured out now if you hug a tree or cuddle or, or kind of stroke a tree it starts to release uh, mm -mm -mm. like uh, I don't. I don't find the English word now. Hmm. If you smell on a pine tree, you, you, oh, like uh, the aromas. Yeah. Ex or, thank uh, you. Uh, thank aroma. you. Yeah. So the tree actually start to extract to to protect itself. Oh, that uh, makes so much sense. Yeah. But it's uh, to us as humans, it's uh, a kind of medicine. Yeah. So yeah. they started up now with uh, yeah. We call it the aroma therapy or whatever oh, yeah. uh, to, to yeah. uh, prescribe that instead of uh, giving people pills in Tokyo, for example. Right. Uh, yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah. And I, I strongly believe in it because uh, what happens when we get outdoors, uh, the back of our body on the ground is that we get grounded and there's a feeling of uh, well-being mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. comes up. The same thing when you light a fire. Uh, right. Biological, we are connected to the the fire. It's in our genes. I'm totally convinced of that. Because yes. everyone has some kind of relationship to, to an open fire, to the flame. And to most people, it brings out a feeling of safety and well-being and connection. Mm. I think it's the same thing with what we do now with uh, carving spoons or carving whatever. It's about being reconnected to our origin, 
basic basic yes sir well i wrote down a little quote that you said earlier which is craft is like a vessel back to the roots and i couldn't agree more i think that's if we were to sum up this uh conversation today that's i feel like that's such a good take-home message is Mm. that what we're doing is connecting us to the past Mm. yeah and and not only the past but the earth as well yeah. I tend to be extremely philosophical, philosophical <laughs> when I teach uh, after a while, because uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want people to have like a shortcut to go beyond. Yeah, yeah. To understand and the philosophy is what keeps people. The philosophy is what keeps you going too. You know, the yeah. skills are. They can be this or that, but the philosophy is what guides you. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Magnus, um, we've been chatting for an uh, hour and 40 minutes now, and Oops. Uh, I'm sure we could we could keep going and going. Um, yeah, and uh, hopefully we meet out in real life someday. Yeah, yes. knows if that would be lovely. If paths will cross. Yeah. Yeah, as, if Mike and I can pull it together, we'll... Um, We'll make it to a spoon fest at some point. Well, I'll be coming to Sweden. I have some family members that live in Sweden, oh, well, so I'll definitely go. be going to Sweden at some point. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, it's been great. Thank you for joining us on the uh, oh, on the show today. Thank you and for having me. Absolutely. Um, and we have our traditional last question, and that is, what does Sloyd mean to you? What does Sloyd mean to me? Oh, it's <laughs> a complex question that uh, <laughs> reconnect. That's the yep. simple answer that I can give yeah. you. Re- to reconnect again. Yep, I love that. With your ass on the ground. With my ass on the ground. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And uh, well, just um, keep traveling in that vessel. You, yeah. You go beyond as well. <laughs> mm, I like that. Awesome. Well, uh, if folks want to check you out, they are familiar with your stuff. What's the best place to find you? Uh, it's probably Instagram then, because I don't have a home page and uh, mm. I'm not out on Facebook frequently. Yeah. So. Awesome. Instagram. Cool. Well, we'll put the link in the uh, show notes for that. Thank you. And yes, thank you again. And uh, hopefully we can chat at some point in the future and meet up in the flesh and get to carve some nice. together. We can share a coffee and have a longer conversation. Yes, yeah, right. about important things. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. That's right. awesome. All right, Magnus. Thank you so much. All right. Stay safe and take care. Bye-bye. You do the same. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Lovely conversation there. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. So we haven't done a little wrap-up here in several episodes. Oh, sure. We can do one. That was fun. Man, it's cool to hear everyone has a different... uh, different relationship to their craft and i it's interesting i think a lot of our guests have a really philosophical Mm. backbone to what they do and yeah 
that was what I got out of Magnus's yeah conversations that the phil- the philosophy is, is almost it's spiritual like you said for him yeah he lives he lives Lloyd you know it's not just a craft yeah it's, it's the lifestyle it's the philosophy it's he what is you strongly Lloyd. believe in he is Lloyd <laughs> he is Lloyd um so to all of our listeners um you probably have noticed we haven't had an episode out in a while and um we're just going the best that we can fitting mm-hmm. uh the podcast into our life but as time goes on you know we're gonna try to uh figure out a way to make this maybe more of a, a value for value proposition where if you uh if you enjoy the podcast you can support it um financially or by sharing it and we always encourage people to share the show wherever you can and it seems like it gets around our episodes have been getting a lot of listens which always blowing my mind with how many people are listening and yeah and sharing um so we appreciate everybody for listening and uh yeah just uh keep on sloiding yeah keep on sloiding <laughs> get your guys. ass on the ground get with your ass on the ground and reconnect <laughs> all right y'all until next time see ya bye